Wow. Such an honor to be with you guys, and, and you guys hyped the word up so much. Now, I came in feeling no pressure at all, like nothing to prove. I'm a son. I have nothing to prove, but all of a sudden, now I feel all this pressure, all this pressure. Um, it's, it's almost as if it might be better to go, hey, it, here's my friend Nate. Uh, it might be okay today. <laughs> And then I can exceed all the expectations. Hey, you don't, ha- you don't actually have to stay in the whole time. It's you can do what you want. You're amazing. Whatever, whatever, whatever you do. Hey, this is amazing. This is, wow. Um, it, it is an honor. Um, I, I have a, what I would call a growing love for your pastors, Lyle and Allison. And, and it's, um, um, it's been a beautiful journey that we've been on the last few years. We went deep very fast. Um, some of the most authentic, compassionate, creative leaders I know. And uh, it really is. I was so excited to come be here. It's my first time in Nashville. And uh, I love the name of your church, Legacy. So our church, we planted a church called The Stirring um, in Redding, California 12 years ago. And if I could change the name of our church, I would change it to Legacy. I thought about this on the way over. I would change it. Um, I would change your name to Legacy, and then I would talk about our church plant in Nashville. I would talk about my son, Lyle, and how proud I am of my man. Um, Because what began 12 years ago as a stirring has actually become our legacy what 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 we didn't know at the time the, the stirring of God became a legacy and and legacy is actually what God is doing on the earth the to name your church legacy is actually a prophetic declaration of what God is actually up to it's one of the greatest shifts happening on the earth right now because God is God is actually leading a generation he's leading a generation beyond their ministry and into their legacy um, there was a, a generation that was addicted to their ministry. Ministry is what you do with your hands, your website, your brand, your movement, you fulfilling your calling, your destiny. But at some point, maturity in the kingdom, and what's happening is we're actually maturing younger now. Wow. Maturity in the kingdom, this isn't an age thing, is that I actually move beyond the need to have a ministry, the, the need to have my name on it, and I move into my legacy. So your ministry is what you build through your hands. Your legacy is what you build through the hands of your sons and your daughters. And so what God is doing, he, He's actually leading people to become mature, to go, I'm going to become a father, I'm going to become a mother, and the greatest impact I can make on the earth is not the thing I build, it's the thing that we build. Yes. Um, your, your legacy isn't what you give your sons and daughters when you die. Because there are many that, that have sacrificed relationship with their kids. And they've spent a lifetime actually without them trying to build for them. But a real legacy is what you give your sons and daughters while you live. And so we're learning to actually pour out through, through a lifetime where um, the legacy isn't just that thing that that you talk about, well, my parents built this for me. It's almost, it's almost as if we we're David having that conversation with the Lord where we're coming to God saying, God, we're going to build you a legacy. And do you remember that moment where David said to God, I'm going to build you a house? And it's almost as if God said, that's cute, David. 
and he, he honors David because he, he honors what's in his sons and daughters' hearts. But in this moment, um, God's like, uh, okay, let's just get, let's get something straight. You don't build me a house. I'm building you a house. David is melted on the ground in the presence of the Lord. And he said, God, are you this kind to everyone? Is this who you are? And so we come and we say, God, we're going to build you a house called Legacy. And he says, watch the house that I'm building. I'm most moved. This is what I'm most moved by what God's doing here. And it's so, I walked in here and I'm like, I've, you know, for years I've been following you guys on the Instagram. And I'm like, whoa, I know this stage. Like, I know that person, you know, I know these lights. And, and, but to be here, what I'm most moved by is not what's happening on the stage here. Let's not be enthralled with the stage. I'm most moved by what God's building beneath the stage. And, and in your guys' lives, I just saw this picture of, of you're being faithful to do something God's asked you to do, but he is building deep wells underneath you. I saw these massive, I saw God filling these wells. And it was the pleasure of God not to release his power on a stage, but it was the pleasure of God to release these, the, the, the living water of God to fill these wells deep beneath you. Because if we go deep with God, we end up with deep wells. God's not interested in moments. He wants lifetimes. And, and so I just saw there's such a, a deep move of God happening beneath the Instagram, right? And so I just want to, God, we just bless what's happening at Legacy. We bless the deep wells, people that are not fascinated by um, the stage, God, that they're not looking for positions, but they're, they're so enthralled with your presence, God. People that don't gather around stages, but they gather around your presence and they gather around tables. And we just bless what you're doing here. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I can't wait to preach here. I can't wait. Um, one of the things I've been praying and and I want to share this before I preach a word, but I've been believing God for a generation that's as expectant to come to the word as we are to come to worship. Yes. So there's, there's been a generation that's, that's so addicted to the music that we, we've missed the word. And so, God, could we raise up sons and daughters? You know, we talk about, hey, when does worship start? And I can't wait to hear from a generation, when does word start? You know, where, where we're not excited about the worship gathering um, only. But there's a generation going, when's the next word gathering? You know, I have this, this, this vision of an underground preach club. It's like fight club, but it's preach club. There's an underground, there's, and there's just gatherings. There's these underground gatherings where, where like, like the old-fashioned rave scene, where you find out there's going to be a preach. The word's going to be open. We don't know who's going to bring the word. There's only two rules. The first is you don't talk about preach club. And the second is if it's your first time, you have to preach. So everyone preaches. There's a sense of we have no idea who might open their, their heart and open their life and open the word. But um, a generation as expectant to encounter the word of God. So as I preach, I'm just praying that God would do that here. That, uh, that we, uh, we'd host gatherings that, that, uh, that start with the word to prepare us for worship. So if you guys would turn to Luke uh, chapter 4. 
Verse one says this, then Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness. I'm just fascinated that, that this, the Spirit of God will actually lead us into a wilderness. That so often we're in a wilderness and we're blaming God when he's the one that actually led us there. That there are seasons where God actually leads us to the lonely place. He leads us to the wilderness. There are seasons where God draws near. There are seasons when he actually steps back because he's teaching you how to draw near. The Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. Then the devil took Jesus to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are really the son of God, jump off for the scriptures say, that God will order his angels to protect and guard you. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. So here's this moment where Satan is tempting Jesus, but there's another translation that says that God is actually testing Jesus. But God doesn't test us to fail us. God tests us to reveal us. And so sometimes we're in the testing of God, not because God doesn't think we have what it takes, but it's because he knows we have what it takes. And sometimes it takes a bit of a testing, a bit of a wilderness to actually bring out that thing that God has actually put in us. He's buried it in us. And we can blame God or we can behold God. We can, we can try to control our lives or we can wonder what God might be up to. And wonder always opens our hearts, control always closes our hearts. Wow. And so here's this moment where the Spirit of God leads him into the, the wilderness. There's the, the temptation of Christ, as we call this, this passage. And I was reading it a few years ago and I started to see something I'd never seen before that here's... Satan that tempts Jesus to turn stones into bread and then tempts Jesus to bow down before him to get all the kingdoms of this world and then tempts Jesus to, to Spider-Man jump off of the temple to reveal himself to everyone that the angels might carry him. And I was, I was reading this and I was thinking, wow, Jesus could do this. Jesus could have done this. Jesus could have turned the stones into bread. Uh, Jesus could have bowed down and redeemed and, and got the kingdoms of this world. And Jesus could have jumped off the temple and revealed himself as the son of God. And I was thinking, he could have done this. Why didn't he do this? And, and then it hit me. It, it's not only that Jesus could have done this. Jesus should have done this. Because this is the very thing Jesus came to do. This is the very call on his life. I'm reading this and I'm thinking, wow, this isn't Satan tempting Jesus to do the wrong thing. 
This is Satan tempting Jesus to do the right thing. Tempting Jesus to actually live out the call on his life. This is Satan saying, hey, this is on your life. Do it. This is the very thing Jesus came to do. He came to actually turn stones into bread. He says later on, I am the bread of life. Ezekiel 36, 26 says that Jesus came to turn stone-like hearts into tender, responsive, bread-like hearts to be offered and broken to the world. This is why Jesus came. Uh, Jesus came to lay his life down to redeem the, the kingdoms of this world. It says in Revelation, until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our God, he came to lay his life down, just not in front of Satan. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He would lay his life down for the sake of the world. Yes. Jesus came to reveal himself. But don't you love how Satan can just kind of twist the word? Yeah. Because it wouldn't be the angels that would hold him up, it would be the cross that would hold him up. So here's Satan tempting Jesus to live out the call on his life. So the issue here isn't Satan tempting Jesus to do the wrong thing. The issue here is Satan tempting Jesus to do the wrong thing in the wrong time. And we know the, or the right thing in the wrong time. And we know that the right thing in the wrong time is always the wrong thing. Like the right person in the wrong time is the wrong person. The right word at the wrong time is the wrong word. The right decision at the wrong time. So the issue here is timing. It's the timing of God. So here's Jesus. Jesus knows who he is. Right before this story, Jesus has an encounter with his father. Before he faces his enemy, he faces his father. And, and his father says to him, you're my son in whom I am deeply pleased. You bring me great joy. So Jesus knows that he's a son. He knows who he is. Right after this story, he will say something like, the spirit of God is upon me to preach the good news to the poor, to set captives free, to proclaim the favor of the Lord. So Jesus knows who he is. He's a son who brings his father great joy. He knows why he is. The spirit of the Lord is upon me for this. He knows his identity. He knows his destiny. But he also knows his timing. He knows his who and he knows his why, but Jesus also knows his when. And I want to talk about the when of God. Because Jesus knows he's a son, and I love this about Jesus, that Jesus was a son long before he was a savior. And sometimes we get, we get so fixated on what he did for us, the cross and the resurrection, that we miss that he came as a son. He was a son first. Yeah, yeah. Jesus, the journey that we are on is the journey into sonship. It's the journey. Um, did you ask Jesus that first moment when you encountered him, that day that he gave you his life and you gave him your life, did any of us stop and ask Jesus, wait a second, Before I follow you for a lifetime, where are you going? 
<laughs> I didn't. I haven't met anyone that's like, wait a second, I need to know where you're going before I follow you. No, we just blindly, wholeheartedly said, I will follow you. But had we asked Jesus, where are you going? Jesus would have said, I'm going to the Father. And if you follow me long enough, you'll become a son. You'll become a daughter. Because the journey, do you know that you can, you can arrive at the destination and never actually grow the destiny? That God is far less concerned about where we're headed. We get so stressed out about where we're going. He says, I'm going to the Father, and the journey is to become a son, to become a daughter. And, and how freeing is it to know that it's not about getting me somewhere, but getting me to someone. And sometimes the most confusing seasons of my life are the ones that actually get me to that someone. Jesus knows he's a son, and because he knows he's a son, he's not tempted to do the, the right things in the wrong time. It's almost Jesus' way of saying, yes, but not now, and not like this. That's on my life. I think the greatest struggle for this generation, especially those who love God with their whole hearts, will not be doing the wrong things. It'll be doing the right thing in the wrong time. And how, listen, how we get and when we get what God has promised is everything. Timing matters deeply. It's, it's not enough to just know who I am or why I am. I have to know when I am. God's raising up a people right now that actually know the when of God. And the when of God is, is uh, it's such a beautiful space. Uh, identity, destiny. But this issue of timing is where people are the most frustrated or the most free. It's in that space. I call it the yellow. I love to think about it as a stoplight. A stoplight. There's the green, there's the yellow, there's the red, and and we come to Jesus and we learn those green things, all those green things in scripture. God is, you know, things like be kind. I don't have to pray and ask God, should I be kind today? Yeah, right. right, I don't have to pray and go, God, I, I know you talk a lot about love, but is that the call on my life? Am I supposed to love? I know Lyle's supposed to, but should I love? It's the green things, right? It's the green lights of God. So when it comes to like knowing the timing of God, we, when, when we're driving around town, when we see a green light, no one wonders, do I stop here? What should I do? No one stresses out because we know those green things that God has said. He said, love. He said, make disciples. There should be no one in this place stressing about, has God called me to make disciples? Am I supposed to give my life to people? Because I'm more of a business guy. You know, I'm just a construction worker. I'm more into fashion. You know, there should be no one in the church wondering that's a green light of God. Then there's the red lights. It's the, it's the, the verses like, um, do not murder. Right? I'm just assuming there's no one in here that, that your life tension right now is, should I kill people or not? Right? It's the red of God. So there's no one stressed about that. Or, or the, the, the old verse, you know, do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. We all know that. It's red. That's the red of God. You don't do that. That is not God's will, right? So, so we know the red. We know the green. That's not where we get stressed out. It's in the yellow. It's in the intersections of life. It's in the crossings of life because when we come to a yellow light, what's so interesting about the yellow is, is none of us do the same thing. In the yellow of life, and most of life is lived in the yellow. 
identity and destiny becomes very green and very red, black and white, but there's the, the, the gray, there's the yellow space of life where we're trying to navigate. Do I speed up or do I slow down? What would my pastors do? And this is where the frustration is because you've got a car in front of you, it turns yellow. He stops and you're like, we both could have made it. And you're honking your horn, it was yellow. So it's in the yellow space that we start to project onto others those things, right? Like, I would speed up, so why aren't you speeding up? Whoa, maybe I'm the kind, maybe I'm wired by God to slow down when the yellow comes. So it's in this space that, that we need to learn what I call how to live at the speed of God, the when of God. This is where people get set free, it's where people get stuck. It's why a generation's bailing on the church and Christianity. It's in this space so God is raising up a people who actually know the time. Because if there's a people, when I, when I don't know what time it is, I'm so anxious and I'm so stressed out. I stress, anyone else here, like, you're stre- I don't know what time it is because I don't know if I'm early or late. And what do you do when you don't know the time? You, you try to find your phone or your watch or you find someone, hey, what time it is? And they go, hey, it's this time. And suddenly you relax. Ah. I have 20 minutes to get there. I'm good. Peace comes when I know the time. When I don't know what time it is, I don't know whether I should speed up or slow down. I'm stressed out in the yellow. And the reality is God is far less stressed about your life than you are. There has never been a moment where he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like where he's anxious and he's stressed out and he can't breathe and he's borderline depressed because of your life. Right? But there's something about knowing the time that allows me to actually be free. Freedom comes to those who know the time. I know what time it is. I know what season I'm in. I know what lane I'm in. I I don't have to be further. I don't have to speed up. I don't have to slow down. I'm actually right where I need to be. I have countless conversations with young adults, and most of those conversations come back to the yellow. They're not stressed out about the red and the green, but it's the yellow. And, And what peace comes when a father or mother or brother or sister is able to go, you're actually right on time. You're on time. You're stressing and it's all in your head because you're right on time. I was stressed out in a season trying to figure something out and and my daughter, Adia, who is 10 at the time, she slips me a note. She's only done this once. This has only happened once. So I don't want you to think my kids are super spiritual and that they hear from God and they slip me notes all the time. And, but she gave me this note and she said, I just felt like I was supposed to give you this. I opened this note and she had drawn like a picture of me and, and God and a little hourglass. And it said, God is not worried about time he owns it all and it it just hit my soul the God that owns time is not stressed out about time the one that can break into time at any time is not stressed out so Jesus as he's tempted to do the right thing in the wrong time what's so stunning here is Knowing he's a son, he's able to stand in the presence of Father and go, I don't, have to, I don't have to turn stones into bread. 
I don't have to provide for me. You provide for me. What a massive lie that I have to provide. That's an orphan lie. That's an orphan place to go. I have to provide for me. I have to work 70 hours. I have to work lots of jobs. I have to provide. Father provides for me. Um, I don't have to compromise my calling and, and lay down right now to get what's promised. I don't have to take into my hands what God has promised to put into my hands. Because he promotes me. Father provides for me. Father promotes me. And then I don't have to jump off this temple to reveal myself because Father proves me. Father proves me. Father promotes me. Father provides for me, which are the massive lies warring against this generation in the yellow. Because it was all yellow. It's all those things that, that we do when we don't know the time. It's all those things we do when we feel like it's taking too long. Have you ever been on a road trip with your kids? And they're like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? This is taking so long. They have no idea how long the trip is. How would they even know it's taking too long? It's taking so long. You have no idea. You're in the back seat playing Fortnite. You don't know how long this trip is. It's taking so long, Dad. No, maybe we're right on time. So there's this passage I want to jump into in Exodus 32. It says this, when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take these gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters, bring them to me. All the people took these rings and they brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were. So he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, tomorrow will be a great festival of the Lord. This is the moment where then God speaks to Moses, who's on the mountain for 40 days, and says, your people have turned to a golden calf. So here's this moment. It's so important for us to get this. Here's this moment where God has led slaves to become sons and daughters. They're at the foot of Sinai, which is the moment where he reveals himself as father. The, the Ten Commandments isn't God giving them rules. This is God teaching them how to be human. This is God teaching them how to be sons and daughters and, and live in a way that would impact the earth. So here's one of the most beautiful moments in their history. And God says to them, just wait, just wait. That's all he says, wait. Do you know that sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is nothing? Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is just wait. He's like, hey, wait, we're going to... And, and they're, because they're, they're fear and because this God's unpredictable, um, God calls Moses up the mountain. So Moses is up the mountain for 40 days and he's encountering God, having this beautiful encounter with God that would, that would actually shape the future of this nation and, and the earth. And, and here the verse says this, when they thought it was taking too long. They gathered around Aaron. And then Aaron said, well, bring me gold and we'll build this, this golden calf. And, and then when Aaron saw how it pleased the people, it pleased Aaron. What, what's happening here is stunning. 
and you have no idea how many churches actually reflect this, most churches today are actually at the foot of the mountain and not on the mountain. Because at the foot of the mountain, the people no longer gather around the presence, but they gather around their leader. And the leader sees how pleased they are of his great leadership. And that leader no longer gathers around the presence, he gathers around the people. You've got people gathering around leaders and leaders gathering around people. And the glory of the Lord is being revealed on the mountain somewhere. Listen, we were always meant to gather around the presence of God, not charismatic celebrity personalities. When they saw it was taking too long, and what's interesting here is, is, and you can interpret this in all kinds of ways. I have the mic, so I get to interpret right now. But they, they weren't turning to false gods. They were building a false image to worship the God that led them out of Egypt. This wasn't, hey, let's worship some other God. I've heard it taught like that. No, they, they reverted to old ways of worship. They did what was comfortable. God was leading them into a new paradigm and they ran back to what was comfortable. We might liken it to a moment where, where the preacher has no idea what to do because the glory of the Lord is so thick and, and what do I do? Uh, I invite the worship team up. Because that's familiar. Is that what God's doing in the moment? I don't know. Maybe. It's, it's doing that comfortable, familiar thing rather than standing in the awe and the wonder and the unpredictability of who knows what God's up to, but I can't wait to see. Another way of saying it would be it's whenever we control God because it's much easier to fashion God in our image than to allow God to fashion us into his. Some of us, the deepest issue in our life right now is control. And some of us, we need less control, more wonder. More awe. More mystery. Some of you are so wound up inside trying to control every aspect of your life. You just need some awe and wonder. Control closes your heart. Control is the the life of an orphan. But sons learn to wonder in the mystery of God. Who knows what's happening on the mountain, but I can't wait to see what God does. It's much easier to bring something to God of value than allow God to value you. So at the foot of the mountain, instead of valuing God, they start to bring him an offering. There are a lot of things we do in church that can very subtly become religious, whether it's the offering or the control or or going back to the familiar song. When they saw it was taking too long, when they saw it was taking too long, it's so interesting because at some point someone had to plant that seed. So here's Moses who's up on the mountain with God for a week or two weeks now and And they're just wondering, hey, what happened to that fellow Moses? 
hey, what happened to that guy that went up the mountain to meet with God? So a couple weeks in, they're like, wow, this is taking too long. Another week goes by and, and someone is so stressed out, they're so anxious, they have to control this thing. There's someone in the crowd that's like freaking out because Moses has been on a mountain for three weeks. They turn to their friend and they say, this is taking so long. And then their friend's are like, yeah, you're right, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, three weeks, what's God doing? Three weeks? Couldn't God do it in a day? Couldn't you do it in a moment? What kind of God is that, a three-week God? You know, so they turn to their, dude turns to his girlfriend, and he's like, hey, it's taking so long. She's like, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. She tells her friend, all of a sudden, two million slaves are like, this is taking way too long. But no one, no one in Israel had any idea how long it might take. Because... This is taking too long, or I should be further, or God should have done it by now, is always the language of comparison. It's always the language of comparison because this has never happened before. Moses has never been on the mountain like this before. God's never looked like Moses before. No one knows how long Moses takes. What if God is doing a 40-day thing on the mountain? God's not stressed. He's not late. What God is doing takes 40 days. Someone's like, this thing is too long. And God might say, no, it takes 40 days. I'm doing a 40-day thing. And who knows how long this takes? It's the language of every time, whenever you see someone else in your life and you have that thought, I, I should be further You need to hear the Lord go, uh, you're right on time because you've never happened before. You don't know how long you take. You don't know how long. So, okay, sometimes God is testing us. So we get into a yellow of life and it's like God's testing me and it's taking so long because he's testing me. And and that that is true biblically. There are times there's a testing other times he's developing us, like it's taking so long because, because I need God to do in me something deeper so that he can do through me something farther, right? So there are times when it's like, hey, wait, just hold on, like you're not done yet, you know? God's doing things. So sometimes he's testing us, sometimes he's developing us and all kinds of things. But in this story, that's not what's happening. He's not testing them. He's not developing them. He's just like, hey, chill out and wait for 40 days. Here's maybe the most profound thing I can say this morning. Some things take time. It wasn't about them. Is God developing me? They're at the bottom of the mountain. Is God testing us? No, it's not about you. He's doing a 40-day thing. He loves you, and it's going to blow your mind. It just takes 40 days. It's like that story in, uh, in the book of Daniel, where Daniel cries out to God, he prays. Three weeks later, three weeks later, an an angel appears to him. The angel says, do not be afraid, Daniel. This is in Daniel 10, verse 12. Since the first day you begin to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before the Lord, your request was heard in heaven, and I've come to answer your prayer. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Who's that? Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to my help. In other words, from the day you prayed, heaven said yes. 
but it took me 21 days to get here because there was traffic. Okay, this glimpse, this glimpse into the spirit realm can really help us get free in the yellow. It took three weeks, real weeks. So imagine two days in, Daniel's like, God didn't hear my prayer. God didn't answer it. I'm done. He bails. How many of us would bail after a week? But if we get this glimpse, it's like, I'm going to pray until it happens because maybe it's, maybe it's going to take three weeks for the answer to get here. Do we understand what's happening in the spirit realm? When it takes too long, it's always this, this language of comparison and we start to compare ourselves to others. And I know for me, a massive part of my journey of bringing to God my orphan places and becoming a son, a huge part of that has been overcoming the comparison. Yeah. And uh, you, you, can't, you can't not get exposed. You can't not deal with this stuff when you pastor a church right down the street from Bethel. <laughs> I remember the season where there were five pastors in our city named Bill. And at some point I realized I'm living in the shadow of the Bills. At one point I was like, God, why didn't you make me Bill? Because apparently you want Bill to pastor in this city. Why'd you make me Nate? I'm the only Nate. And God would speak words to me like, when I called Nate, I already had Bill. You know, when I called this stirring, I didn't want another Bethel. There was a season where uh, Bethel was experiencing a glory cloud. So they, were, they would worship and this cloud would show up. And so I'm literally, almost every time the glory cloud showed up, I was preaching eight minutes down the road. And I'm just thinking, God, why? I actually could never go see it because I was preaching. So there's a glory cloud showing up at the church eight minutes down the road. And I'm preaching and I'm like, where the hell's our cloud? <laughs> You know, even if it's the size of a fist, God, I'm looking to the back of the church. Where's our cloud, God? I'm going to pray this cloud in. And, and I remember having this, this conversation with the Lord and just saying, God, what's up with the cloud? Where's our cloud? And I had this powerful moment with the Lord where he leaned in. And he said, Nate, everything you've asked me for, I've given you. Wow. He got out the list. And then he said something so profound. He said, Nate, you never asked me for a cloud. <laughs> and and I, had, I had this, when you know who you are, you no longer want to be what you're not. When you realize what's on your life, but comparison causes us to get into that frustrating yellow space where we start looking around going, I should have that. And, and I love that, that God always, whenever we come to him with our comparison and our frustration, he always reminds us who we are. That's right. That's right. Yes. When it takes too long. I love the story of, uh, of Saul and David. Because Saul, the man's king, 
the prophet Samuel comes to Saul and says to him, hey, wait a week. I'm going to be there in a week. There's a vast army marching against Israel. He says, wait a week. I'll show up. A week goes by. Saul becomes so anxious, so stress-filled that he can't wait for the prophet Samuel to come. And so what did he do? He took the offering, he took the worship into his own hands. The worship was no longer trust, it was control. He took it into his own hands and because of that, Samuel shows up, the prophet says, what have you done? And he said, well, you didn't show up and, and the soldiers were leaving and because of that, I took the offering into my own hands. Do you know that sometimes God will actually delay so that even the army in your life will start to flee? And he's testing your faith. Will you stay? Will you be more connected to the word of the Lord on your life than even the people around you? We know we need both. But then there's David, on the other hand, who's in the cave and he comes across King Saul. David now has a word on his life that he will be the next king. And his friends now are whispering in his ear. You can kill him now. He's vulnerable. His friends are saying, now, now, now is the time. And David recognizes the right thing and the wrong time is the wrong thing. And David, even though his soldiers are ready to just kill Saul and put David on the throne, which would have made David's life a lot easier. David refused to take into his hands what God had promised to put into his hands. Some things take time. So here's this moment, they're at the foot of the mountain and, and some dude's like, hey, it's taking too long and he tells his friend and imagine if there was someone, someone in that community that actually knew the time and they could say, we don't know how long it takes. But imagine if there was one person that just had faith to go, hey, hey guys, can we just have a talk about this for a second? Can we just have a conversation? Like you guys are freaking out, you're wanting to build this golden calf, like Moses is on the mountain, that that fellow Moses. Imagine if there was one person that said, hey, can we just chat for a second? Uh, Just a few weeks ago, God split the Red Sea. I'm with that guy, (laughs) right? I'm with that guy. It just took one person to go, hey, hey, listen, remember that guy, that fellow Moses? Yeah, he's the same one, remember? Held out his rod and God split the Red Sea and we walked through. I know you're stressed out a bit, but I'm with that guy. He's right on time. (laughs) And even if it takes a lifetime, even if it takes a lifetime, I will wait because God said wait. And whenever God says wait, we know God's up to something so beautiful and redemptive in our life. So Lyle and I, we had a conversation recently just about where Legacy's been and and, uh, just for me praying, being prayerful about what message to bring. Immediately when I hung up the phone, I felt like the Lord said, I want you to teach on timing. And I prayed into it and I felt like this is why. I felt like the Lord said that, that legacy, God's raising up a people who will know the time. And the phrase was this, I felt like this is, this is something you guys carry, it's on your life. 
but I felt like the Lord said, like the sons of Issachar, who understood the time and knew what to do. And I, and I believe that God's raising up not only sons and daughters, but people in this room that God's going to supernaturally lead you into space where you actually know the time. You're stress-free, free, you're stress-free, fear-free, yes. control-free. Yes. And you're able to live in that place of sonship and daughtership to be able to create a culture, not of control, but a culture of wonder. Amen. And a culture where we don't stress out when we feel like it takes too long because we have no long, we have no idea how long we take. And so I just felt like the Lord, I had this picture of you, if I could share it, I had this picture where um, the Lord, the Lord giving you the times. I saw, I saw the two of you standing between the church and culture and, uh, and the Lord giving you a real gift to the, the church, but also giving you as a gift to culture, knowing the time what God's actually doing in culture and being able to help culture understand the timing of God, but also helping the church understand the times we live in, the time. And I had this, this vivid picture of you, which is just so interesting, but I saw you as like, you know those old fashioned circuit riders? So I saw you as a circuit rider, like a Paul Revere. And I saw you coming from this place on a horse, you had like a flag. And I saw you going from city to city as a circuit rider and in the same way that Paul Revere, you know, legend says that he went from city to city saying the Brits are coming, you said God is coming. Amen. You were announcing what God, the time. You knew the time that God was gonna give you an unusual ability to come into places and actually know the time. Churches and leaders, not sure where they, where they are, you're gonna know where they are and help them navigate the yellow in that space. And what was interesting, two things that really, that I felt like the Lord impressed on me, but in that, in that circuit riding, in, in the Paul Revering, it wasn't just Paul Revere, but there were five that went out. I feel like this is, this is something you're gonna do in family. Like you're gonna become a, a father of writers and those that are gonna, that are gonna impact cities and, and villages in those places. And, um, and one of them, it's interesting, one of those five was a woman. And I feel like the Lord's gonna give you guys a, uh, a real anointing to empower daughters and sisters and mamas. Like in a, in a church culture that's silenced women, um, you're gonna give them voice that has, that has put ceilings on them. You're gonna shatter the ceilings. And so I just, these, these women that are gonna find um, massive daughters are gonna be raised up and they won't, even, they won't even know there was a time when they didn't have voice because you're gonna shift that culture. The other thing was this, um, the, the legend said that, you know, Paul Revere said the Brits are coming. Actually, he didn't say anything. He was, it was all underground for the, the sake of his life. And I feel like it's an underground movement. So the Lord's given you like a sneaky stealth underground movement to get into places that no one else can get into to bring hope that God is coming. This is what he's up to and specific words of timing. Like you'll be a father of time. You'll be a mama of time to help people know what God's up to. And it's two things. It's, it's they understood the times. It's the wisdom to know the timing, but also courage to know what to do. Yeah. Courage to know what to do. So it's both, it's both wisdom and it's courage. When God moves in the church, it's revival. When God moves in the city, it's renaissance. And, and the ones that lead the church from revival to renaissance are called reformers. 
And so God has made you guys reformers leading the church from revival to reformation to renaissance. Um, there are some called to revival. Holy Spirit, come fill the church. That's not enough for you. And I had this as, as you even got up. I felt like there's always going to be a holy discontentment with the church because revival in the church is not enough. It has to touch cities. It has to touch fashion. It has to touch business. Jesus happening everywhere. There's a move of God right now, um, not just in the church, but of the church and into culture. That Jesus didn't rise from the dead so that we could do church better. He rose from the dead so we could do life better. And so there's a move of God into government and, and politics and business and fashion and food industry. And I feel like you guys, you guys are, the reformers are the ones that are, that are actually taking risks in new space to create new paradigms for revivalists to actually step into renaissance. And you guys, I feel like he's going to give you keys and paradigms. But the thing is, it can be really frustrating in the yellow of reformation because you're living in one world, but you're dreaming about another world. And I feel like there's going to be a grace for the frustration in that, in that space to be able to love and value what God's doing in the church, but also lead people to actually touch their cities. Because if it doesn't touch the city, then is it really revival? And so there's, there's a, and I feel like the Lord's like, be frustrated. There's a holy discontent in that space. And you'll have to look for new fruit. Because what happens, just like going back to old styles of worship, what happens is, is some of us are like, yeah, let's charge. Let's do the new thing of God. But we're still looking for the old fruit. So, so we get frustrated because, because the old fruit is God filling altars. The new fruit is God filling sons and daughters. And we can get confused. We can keep looking for all the fruit. And if we're going to be reformers and we're going to lead into new paradigms, we have to have eyes to see what God's doing. We've got to start to validate and value what he's doing in business because revival in business, revival in family, revival in fashion is going to look so different than revival in the church. And so it's important that we start to see because we can step out and then feel like, oh, God didn't move. No, 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 he did move. You just didn't see it because you were looking for the old movement of God. And so I just want to bless you guys in that. Can I do that? So we just bless. We, we bless the Phillips, God. God, we thank you for, for the pioneering work of God, the reluctant pastor. And we just thank you for what you're doing in legacy, the shift happening on the earth. And we just pray. We pray, God, I'm asking two things. One, that you would, um, God, we ask for dreams, visions, paradigms. God, um, a, a revival that can't stay in the church. From the sanctuary to the streets, God is coming. We ask for a wisdom to understand what God's up to. We ask for a courage to actually do what God's doing. We need wisdom and courage. And I, I pray for legacy, the family, the legacy family, that there would be such a distinct anointing of knowing the time. Like the sons of Issachar, they, we, we would know the time we're in. We, would, we wouldn't be fearful, we wouldn't be stressed, but we would know what God's up to. Leading culture into the church, leading the church into the city. Navigating those worlds, and knowing what God's up to, not, not getting stuck with golden calves or old styles of worship, but those encountering God on the mountain in his presence. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.
Amen. Come on. Okay.